Hey, Jordan, what is up? Hey, um, working on something for a client. Have you seen the Bernie, the Bernie memes? The Bernie Mittens. Yeah. Yeah. I always loved that guy. I know I've had a couple of yeah. not so nice things to say about him over the past year or so, but in hindsight, I'm reflecting recently and it's like, oh, he's a lovable old codger, you know? What are you, what are yeah. you working on? Um, Wells Fargo wanted to like Photoshop him into a, a meme about their new, their new like uh, high interest loans. Oh, nice. So I'm, uh, Very good. Just putting him in there. It should be, just, should be done in like half an hour. Oh, great, great. Yeah, I was just working on um, just a little something. I don't know if you'd call it maybe like a fanfic. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure exactly what to do with it, but uh, just something that's been kind of circulating in my mind since uh, since the inauguration and everything. Okay. What is it? Okay, well, it's just, just kind of a little scene um, that I was thinking about. Um, you know, I was really overcome with emotion watching the whole inauguration and mm-hmm. seeing the Cheeto finally removed from mm-hmm. from the white house democracy restored democracy restored fascism defeated exactly and i was just thinking about this little scene so just like picture this okay like just uh mm-hmm. so you've got pete and chasen's apartment washington dc right they've made it to the the big city the the white house administration they're you know they're hanging out it's dinner time they're making a nice meal and you know on the door oh who's that it's uh michelle oh. obama she comes in, okay. she's got a bottle of wine, yeah, yeah, and she's ready to like spill the tea about all some some hot, you know, funny yeah. Washington gossip. Okay. They're all kind of hanging out, you know? And then you can have more people kind of coming in. They're having a little dinner party, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren. They're all just kind of coming and hanging out. It's like they're a, yeah. it's been a tense last couple of years. They're They're letting loose. The whole gang's coming together. I was kind of thinking about different people that could be, you know, coming into this situation and, and you know, celebrating, celebrating that they finally got rid of the of Donald Trump. That's pretty. That's pretty fun. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I'm just imagining like who all would be there. I wish I could just uh, watch like outside from a window, like them all, like these like powerful, influential people having a good time partying. Like that'd be really fun to me. I'm glad we're fantasizing about this. This is like a really healthy thing to do in this moment. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then you know you get, cool. get other folks coming in there, right? Other other good Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get George Bush coming oh, in there. Yeah. He's in there. He's yeah, painting yeah. for. He's doing a kind of a live painting. Yeah, him and Michelle are besties. Yeah, of course they're splitting splitting candies. And oh, you got you know who fun. you got Dick Cheney coming in there. Donald Rumsfeld, the whole crew. They're all getting together. They're they're they're. Putting aside their differences, we don't, you know, they don't always agree. We know this. No, yeah. They're setting aside their differences. They're coming together. They're hanging out. Mm-hmm. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I so. think that's pretty cool. Um, and then, like, uh, I just want to see something like, uh, oh, wait, who's at the door? Oh, okay. It's David Frum. It's Bill Crystal. It's yes. John Brennan. They're all here. All your MSNBC faves, they're all here. It's cool. It's like I'm. Wa- it's like I'm watching a real uh, life MSNBC green room. It's just. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's so cool to just think about that. Not actually be part of it, but just like I just want them to socialize together and leave yeah, me absolutely. out of it. I think that's and really, then you got really like Henry cool. Kissinger coming in there as well. You okay. Know, he's, okay. He's celebrating. Yeah. Hillary drops by. She's there. <gasps> no way. Yeah, you have people like from American history, even from American history, to come in. Like you know, J. Edgar Hoover. He's there. Okay. He comes in there. Reagan is there. Let's go. Absolutely. And like Werner von Braun, you know, <laughs> he's the father. He's the father of the American space program and an immigrant as well. <laughs> and immigrants get the job done. Awesome. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Horrid. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, it was uh it was a pretty grim. It was pretty grim. Um, some of the some of the takes that were that were flying across the timeline after this uh this inauguration. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew it would be bad. Uh, I left the the ceremony and just coverage all day on mute. 
because I just don't care. I don't want to hear it. Um, but yeah, so the tweets were, you expected a lot of it. Like you, you know that people are going to react, uh, in, in a, with an element of catharsis. It's they're, they're, you know, they're excited. Trump's gone. I get that. But like with so many things that we've seen, it just like everything just, people have to take it to like 11 and you could just keep it like a cool <laughs> seven or eight, man. And it's like, you know, like the shit with like. Steve Kornacki, it was just like they were so excited that these states were flipping blue that they wanted to fuck Steve Kornacki and they yeah, like, it was a bit like, much. Make, yeah, it's like, oh, this is his this is his khakis. And just like, can you relax? Please. Please <laughs> yeah. relax. Yeah, I saw some I saw some sketchy tweets about Ossoff in that in that oh kind of God. vein as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so it's not weird. Good. It's weird that they Wait, default I, to that, some of these these folks. Like you could just be relieved and, and that's it. I promise you it's, you, it's going to be okay if that's all you do. I, yeah. I assure you, yeah. like you don't need to go overboard with like, <laughs> it's, I, it's weird. It's so weird. People are yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's, it's the insurgents. I should say hello. It's the insurgents episode 55, everyone. Thanks for joining us. It's Rob Rousseau here along with Jordan Yule. And um, hello. Hello. And so, okay. So we're talking about some of the, the insane overreactions to this, but I did want to get your perspective on this. You are there in Washington, D.C., and there is no longer a Cheeto in the White House. And that that's not no. meaningless, right? People have been kind of like taking that maybe a little bit too far. But yeah. do you do you feel that kind of sense of relief? Like I've, I did. I did notice like, you know, after the day of the inauguration and you know, seeing like the, this press conference and stuff, it, it was kind of this surreal feeling of like, oh, there is not going to be a nonstop parade of like insane cruelty every single day. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of relieving, even if you don't want to like maybe go to that next level that's unnecessary. But were you kind of feeling that as well, that sense of, of relief that the Cheeto has been finally uh, removed from the White House? <laughs> um, yeah, especially in the waning days of the Trump administration as they were like creeping toward uh, military action with Iran or at the very least aiding Israel's military aggression and actions toward Iran. Um, that was really disconcerting. So it was like that was an element of stress and and worry that is now gone so that was like the immediate impact yeah the the constant attacks on on marginalized communities and groups is you know that's one upside of the democrats really prioritizing uh identity politics is that they're not going to you know deliberately seek out trans communities and and single them out for some sort of uh discrimination or discriminatory measure like that's that's come to an end temporarily, so that's a relief. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, some of these other lingering systemic problems still remain, and I think that that fanfare and this overreaction from liberals really just spells disaster because I think it reflects uh, unwillingness to address them and this insistence that the good guys are in, everything's going to be taken care of, and any criticism or pushback uh, to either their the, you know, tepid response or ignorance toward the issue is going to be met with accusations that you support Trump or want another Trump to come back and or do you want Trump to come back in 2024? You want another Republican to win. Um, So I just think it's it's very frustrating. Like these those types of arguments remain. Um, I kind of I don't know. I don't don't really care. Like, it's just like I I, people acted outraged when that guy on SNL made the joke in the round of the election that nothing's going to change either way. And sure, things around the margins will, but like on a fundamental level, Joe Biden himself said it, nothing's really going to change. So all these grandiose promises, I, I really don't think are going to come into effect. Puerto Rican statehood, we saw Cory Booker now say today, oh, we don't have the votes. <laughs> what? You need like 51. If you want to do it, you would find a way to do it. Um, so generally, sure, fine, Trump's gone, that's great. Not really moved either way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just I meant I felt that there was a sense of relief just because the level to the level of like constant insanity like that really does take a toll on anyone that's paying attention to this stuff all the time. But at the same time, you can see how that's kind of dangerous because everyone in the media establishment, you can tell how much they've been like hoping and and really hoping for this like return to normalcy. And you can see how they're already in overdrive kind of trying to like play that up. And that was one thing I noticed um, 
on the day of, like the day of Biden's inauguration with the coverage of it, um, th- there was this constant fetishization in the media of like meeting Republicans in the middle and like the whole unity thing and like coming together, despite everything that happened like just two weeks ago when Republicans, not just Donald Trump, but like multiple people in the Republican Party helped encourage this like deadly mob. Um, and then you still have this kind of the, the media fetishizing the idea of meeting in the middle. Uh, like you had Bernie did an interview uh, on, I think, NBC. And just like every single question was like, but are you going to meet Republicans in the middle, Bernie? But are you going to what are you going to do to reach out to Republicans? And he was just like, Fine, like, we're going to do what we need to do to try and like help people in this in this crisis. Mm. Um, and in terms of like the guests that were coming on, it was just like this nonstop parade of like good conservatives like David French and Colin Powell <laughs> and just like bringing on all the good conservatives they can, the non-Trump, the never Trump Republicans to try and create this this narrative that like that that kind of like malignant influence has been removed. There's this return to normalcy that's that's happening. The good Republicans are back in charge, all the bad stuff. And you can see how that just sets the table for like a lot of these very same uh, horrible policies to continue with just like the volume turned down a lot and without the same level of scrutiny, scrutiny and the same level of outrage. And that in and of itself is kind of dangerous. Yeah, there is a sentiment in in feeling kind of symbiotic relationship that the press and the president and the White House staff have had for years before Trump that it's mostly collegial. It's not really challenging. It's friendly and at times, like especially in the White House Correspondents Dinner, it's comical and, and joking. That was gone under Trump and I think there's a lot of people that are just happy that's back. The lifestyle, Hollywood for ugly people style reporting that we're already seeing now, like, oh, Biden went to go get bagels after church today. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I do not fucking care. Hunter um, was there in the window. Yeah. Like, it's like, this is why, why are we talking about this? Like, why is this? Yeah. Why is why this are, in the news? Why aren't you reporting on the fact that he promised day one he would sign an executive order to form a task force to uh, separate or to reunite the kids who had been separated from their families? That was a day one promise that he just didn't fulfill. I don't fucking care about his son getting bagels. Um, so it, it's 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 this kind of stuff. It's the stuff about his watch and steal his look. These are the aviators he likes. Like they're so happy they can just kiss the fucking president's ass for clicks again. Because that's like a huge driver of traffic and, and media consumption. The lifestyle funny videos that they did with Obama – uh, the funnier die, the BuzzFeed shit. Like, people want that back so much. It's also because, like, it's easier for them. I get it. They felt like they were under threat from attacks from the president. But, like, that doesn't mean you let up when the next guy comes in. You still should have that adversarial role. Yeah, well, that was the funny thing about the Trump era, right? That it forced a lot of these very comfortable journalists like Don Lemon or the people that have not been known for like this kind of actually speaking truth to power and and being adversarial. It forced them to do that by nature because Trump himself was adversarial. Um, And it took them out of their comfort zone and forced them to actually do their fucking jobs properly for once. Uh, And now they're just like, oh, thank thank goodness. I can just finally go back to like just talking about meaningless bullshit instead of actually like trying to hold to account the very powerful people that I'm being paid to like cover here yeah they made a big deal about not having the president attend because trump rejected i think he rejected it at first um and then they're like okay well the president is no longer going to be is uh coming to the white house correspondence dinner that you know that's an in- inappropriate relationship watch how fast that gets reversed it, they made yeah. this they made i remember they put out a statement about how it was uh, you know it's probably unethical for them to do it and they should consider the relationship with the president and the white house you know, on, at this event going forward watch how fast this gets reversed under biden because he wants to be the buddy president um uh with with the with the press and the same types of things that they would have lost their mind over they're just like kind of laughing about now so someone asked uh biden the other day they were like is 100 million vaccines in the first hundred days enough and this is day two or three he's in the white house and he just goes come on man <laughs> and everyone's like oh haha don't well, whatever classic no yeah. no <laughs> this is this is not how things are gonna go it's like there's there's no real difference at the end of the day between trump just saying you're fake news or come on man both of them 
are, are, are refusing to answer the question. And there's a tacit uh, acceptance in Biden's answer that that's an illegitimate question from an illegitimate reporter. Whether you like whoever asked or not, that's a reasonable question in this moment. Is 100 million vaccines in 100 days enough? Because you need two vaccines, you need two rounds at least, and they only last several months. So how is that an unreasonable question when people and medical experts are now saying, okay, yeah, you're probably going to need to do way more than that if you want to achieve herd immunity. And he just says, come on, man. No, you answer the fucking question. So we're going to see more of this and people are just going to turn a blind eye to it because it's cute and funny. And that's his that's his go to catchphrase. It's no it's no different than than saying fake news, ignoring the question and moving on. Yeah. Or there's the whole I mean, Biden campaigned on the idea of Trump. Uh, fucking up so badly that it created this this horrible crisis, which is true, obviously. Uh, but then he repeatedly saying like Trump doesn't have a plan to shut down the virus, but I do. I'm not going <laughs> to. Sh- what, what was the catchphrase? It was like I'm not going to shut down the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus or something like that. Yeah. And now when they're asking him what's going to happen, and he's like, there's basically no path to like avoiding like. The, the, <laughs> yeah, it's going to get was, worse. <laughs> well, yeah, what was the exact words that he said? Um, I had written down here. Fucking okay, I lost it. But yeah, just so. Yeah, so then he just says, yeah, there's no path to, like, we can't really avoid, there's nothing we can really do to avoid the next couple of months of just, like, hundreds of thousands of people dying, which is, like, not cool. true. Like, it, it's not true. Cool, man. There is something you could do, which is, like, shut down the economy, which is what should have happened a year ago. Um, actually pay people to stay home. That would actually save probably tens of thousands of lives just doing that. Um, and the idea that, like, oh, there's just no way we can do that because the economy would suffer too much from it. Like there's zero daylight in between saying that and what the Trump strategy was. I mean, that was exactly why they didn't shut down the economy in the first place. Mm -hmm. And Biden's just like, the only difference is like, oh yeah, I'm going to mandate that people wear masks on federal property, (laughs) which is like, okay, great. It's great that you're not making, turning wearing a mask into a cultural issue. That's still not going to actually do anything to save people's lives or help change the course of this pandemic in any way. Um, but again, he he gets a complete pass on this, where whereas Trump wouldn't have. Yeah, they have kind of like oh, the the big kids or or the adults are back in the White House type coverage now, like Dana Bash, who now having um, evolved from her four years of steadfastly covering tone changes in <laughs> in the president, has now moved on to assuring us that the adults are back in the room, the adults are in charge, and then this week they the the, the same adults who were heralded uh, as the alternative to Trump because they had also dealt with Ebola, which is so fucking wildly different. Like, I can't even believe people like bought into that. But it's like, oh, we've got the Ebola czar now in there. And then that's the same people are like, oh, yeah, we're going to have to just build a plan from scratch now. There was no plan. Wait a minute. What were you doing in the weeks running up to this? You (laughs) knew you won. You knew you were taking power and you're just going to now start building, making a plan. Um, but yes, to your point, it is, it is, that is the way you could, you could mitigate risk. Uh, and they don't want to do it because they're beholden to capital and they're beholden to capitalist interests and they're beholden to, to Wall Street. They're pushing through, uh, people with lobbyist ties, corporate ties, Wall Street ties into these cabinet positions. They're, they're Biden's top advisors. It's the same, it's the same world. Uh, as the Obama White House, I think 60 or 70 percent of people in Biden's team have uh, the Obama White House on their resume somewhere. So it's the same type of thinking, this kind of neoliberal market driven approach and business interests are going to outweigh your friends and family. They don't they don't they don't give a shit. And there's going to be some loss and they're OK with that because it's not them. It's you. Yeah. And we we talked about the way that the media was really trying to kind of manufacture this this sense of return to normalcy uh, and, you know, f- emphasizing the decency and the and the un- unity. And like a- another element of that was we hint on it. We like hinted at it in the beginning, but these Ber- these Bernie means the Bernie mittens meme, which is, of course, pretty delightful uh, at first. Um, mm-hmm. But then you're seeing it being repurposed by not only like massive corporations like fucking Amazon, <laughs> but like even but even like people like Jake Tapper who were like working overtime uh, yeah. just just you know ten months ago or whatever it was to ensure that 
this man could never possibly actually become the president of the United States. And, you know, framing all his, his like very moderate uh, social democratic ideas as being these like radical extreme things. How are we going to pay for it? Concern trolling about the deficit, all that shit. Um, but now that there's no threat of him actually like, you know, taking power to the same extent. Now it's just, he, it's people like Jake Tapper just like sharing these, these funny memes and going on about it. And it's just like, mm-hmm. that's, I was kind of enjoying it for the first, uh, you know, couple hours of that. And then that immediately made it less fun and just kind of became depressing. <laughs> I think like I, there was, I was just kind of seeing it come in. And it's like, oh, that's cute. Like, that's a good picture of Bernie. And then like people are like, oh, I photoshopped him in the chair into this picture. And it's like, oh, that's, that's nice. And then I would just see like more and more. And it's like, oh, this is going to be a thing, huh? <laughs> I, like, I don't think I, you know, I tr- have kind of a good sense of what, spreads uh, online and did not expect this to be as viral as it was <laughs> to the point where yeah huge corporations are 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 using it in their posts but then to the, the the prior opponents using it i think it was so funny like megan mccain photoshopped uh something with him in a boat with her and she had like railed against him the entire primary and basically compared him to trump and saying he was an extremist Alyssa Milano as well. Yeah, Alyssa Milano spent the primary, like, uh, sharing fucking Daily Wire articles, (laughs) like, uh, about how bad Bernie was and just, like, pushing, like, literal right-wing websites attacking Bernie just because it would help uh, Biden. Um, People who... (laughs) There's one person specifically who DM'd me during the primary just to tell me how much they hated Bernie posting the meme for clout and being like this is why i'll always have a special spot in my heart for bernie and it's like <laughs> you told me you hate this person so yeah it was it was hilarious to see but it's just how fucking cynical and opportunistic all these people are that just like they railed against this guy who would make our lives immeasurably better um they railed against because they wanted to protect their their income and their wealth and their taxes and the status quo and now when it's like completely safe and he no longer poses a political threat it's like oh yeah, this is so fun. Look at him. He's sitting there. It's mint. But uh, true to form, I mean, the classiest fucking guy in politics just turns around. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll put this on a sweater if you want it. And then we'll just give the money to Meals on Wheels. And they're now expected to raise like millions of dollars with this image. And it's going to help low-income seniors uh, with with food security. So it's just yeah. well, another reminder of why he's like such a pure person. And they're all fucking pieces of shit. Yeah, thank goodness America avoided that guy because that would have been a real catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, someone who's, who's completely coherent and could formulate a sentence. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No. Then I saw Ben Shapiro doing a birdie meme today, and I was like, okay, we're done here. I think we're done now. We're not gonna. Yeah. I'm not. We're not talking about this anymore. Yeah. I hate them all <laughs> thank, so much. <laughs> thank you, Ben Shapiro, for. For, I'm sure I'm sure he would have had a very uh, informed, uh, reasonable take if Bernie had won the primary, and uh, I'm sure Ben Shapiro would have handled that really well and uh, yeah. not not framed it as being like a a you know impending uh, authoritarian takeover because Bernie <laughs> wanted to like possibly give people health care if possible. I'm sure yeah. Ben would have really handled that really well. Definitely wouldn't have like compared him to Hitler or something like that. Just no. really sane, <laughs> rational take. <laughs> Yeah, well, you didn't even need to. He had Chris Matthews doing that. I'm sure his. Uh, yeah. I don't know what he's up to. I do not. Care. Like I legitimately wonder what he's up to. <laughs> no, I know. He's probably he's probably sitting in his very nice house with his huge yeah. amount of money that he's made throughout the years of yeah. really incisive political commentary and, and coverage. <laughs> that is definitely well definitely well deserved. Um, so okay, so I think. By the way, there's no guest. We have no guest. It's just that we didn't probably didn't mention that. It's a classic. Yeah, you, it's a classic lineup. Episode. You turn it off now if that was what you were here for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just so just to clear just to clear that up. But uh, okay, so a big thing about this moment right now is that, and Bernie's been hitting on this as well. He's been very very clear about this. Is that there's a very limited window for the Biden administration and the Democratic Party to actually try and make a meaningful impact in people's lives now and not repeat the same mistake of 2009 uh, when Obama took took power and immediately started like prioritizing, trying to bring Republicans on board with his health care plan, with the stimulus plan. Uh, as I recall, um, I believe the initial stimulus when Obama was, took power was proposed at 
1.5 trillion and then obama's economic advisors like larry summers immediately were just like no no no, there's no way we can do that it's too expensive people will get too mad so just slashed it right in half and that directly led to like the sort of anemic uh very slow recovery of the obama years and led to them getting fucking decimated in the midterms and in all these like state house like local elections and things like this so that's the concern right now if you care about being able to pass progressive policy in this limited window is not to repeat those same mistakes like i mentioned bernie just put up this ad specifically highlighting this exact phenomenon and saying like specifically explicitly uh we have to like deliver for people right now and if we don't uh we're going to get thrown out in two years and nothing will we will accomplish nothing so um what are you encouraged at all by the signs uh that biden has shown in terms of his plan like there to me there's been signs that are somewhat encouraging like it, it does seem like he has a pretty robust economic plan that's being proposed but there's also there's also some alarm bells going off so what what, what do you how do you feel about this <laughs> i don't feel great at at, <laughs> at all um yeah i mean i i was watching the one of the press conferences the other day and brian dees or whatever the guy the wall street guy who's now like Biden's economic advisor was just like I was I, I closed my eyes for a second and just tried to listen. Uh, I'm just thinking like how you could just easily supplant what he was saying. Mine is one thing where he did say like they were going to have like small business uh, objectives to meet equity goals. Um, minus that, everything else was basically just like the same thing you could hear Mick Mulvaney or Steve Mnuchin saying. It's like we want business owners to be in a good spot like we're gonna help people find business loans and all this kind of stuff and it's just like what about working people what about the working class and the middle class like uh, robert reich pointed this out extensively uh in throughout the economic collapse in 2008 in the aftermath that the road to recovery was through increasing purchasing power in the middle class and there just doesn't seem to be much recognition on that front in the in the biden administration there was a column, I can't, I think it's like Henrik Olson, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a conservative populist columnist in the Washington Post. And even he's making this point. It's like, you have to, you have to increase purchasing power in the middle class uh, if you want uh, a, a robust economic recovery in this moment. And there just isn't really a priority to do that. It's all, okay, how do we get small businesses access to liquidity? <laughs> Money's not going to fucking trickle down. Yeah. Um, well, so and the whole Ford, like, like the so same. first of all, they, they, after campaigning on the 2K checks, like very, very serious, very explicitly, like we pointed out, that's now, you know, that's now been watered down to $1,400. And it seems like there was a sense of urgency also in some of these campaign promises. We're going to get these checks in the mail right away. And now it's like, maybe you're going to get your $1,400, like in a, in a couple months kind of thing. And it's like, that's. Mm-hmm. How does that help people that are struggling right now? I mean, people that are really in need of like help in this current moment. How does that fucking help them? Like, this is the exact opposite approach that they need to be taking with this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And there's this like again, like the the Democratic establishment class just rallying behind the official talking points and insisting that you you are out of line for daring to to veer from them. There's this line where it's like, no, they. The, this bad faith attack by the left for saying that this is 2000 biden didn't give us 600 dollars. that was that was trump yeah and it's not and they ran on two thousand dollar checks after 600 dollars was already hitting people's account so you can't and on the one hand herald that as clear concise messaging and on the other hand say oh no everybody should have known it was just a 400 dollar adjustment do you want the first signature thing you do to be a lie or a perceived flip-flop. I would argue you shouldn't because that was a winning message and people trusted you. They put their trust in in your candidates. Warnock's up for re-election in two years. He's filling out the remainder of a term. Do you, I mean, he's going to have to then answer on a pretty bold campaign lie in his next re-election campaign. Do they care? I don't know. I think yeah. they kind of want, I, I think they kind of want to split uh, Congress because they don't have to do as much. The other issue I'm worried about is pushing things through with executive orders. And I've been really, really stressed about this. So if they weren't, you know, in that situation, if they do have a split Congress, I'm I'm deeply worried that there's going to be an increased reliance on executive orders and the long-term risks that poses for our society. Because it's just going to be an endless back and forth of extremely cruel right-wing executive orders being met with 
rollbacks from the next Democratic president. And it's going to be this culture war tug of war for the foreseeable future. And at some point, the Supreme Court's just going to step in, most likely when a Republican is in office and say, okay, you can't do this anymore. And then there's get put into place. Uh, there's that risk, or they just severely curtail the the, the limits, uh, hopefully, uh, of executive power. I mean, we need robust reforms and we need robust solutions to these problems. And the way to do that right now, sadly, is through executive orders. But like, it's 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 really tough because I don't want a Republican president to have increased executive order power and executive order authority going forward. Um, that spells disaster long term. Because then it's just like you're on a road to fucking <laughs> just some yeah completely singular executive that is just antithetical to what uh, our political system should be. Um, I don't want a unified unitary executive. Yeah. Well, another thing about the the 2K checks as well is that people kind of scoff at it. People that are obviously quite comfortable are scoffing at it saying like, what, you really think they're going to send people $2,600? And it's like, yes, yeah. yes, send them $2,600. That's not, like, even that is nowhere near enough. These should be like, these should be monthly payments. These should be retroactive monthly payments. $2,600 is still a complete fucking drop in the bucket compared to like the actual help that people that are in need, people that are like suffering, that are not able to pay rent, that have been like getting through, struggling through this period. Uh, like, yes, yes, give them $2,600. Uh, and it's amazing how that's the kind of the default liberal position is just to like immediately make excuses, immediately start like managing expectations downward. Um, you know, the whole better things aren't possible thing. Um, and again, this is the exact, this is the exact wrong approach that they need to be taking right now. Um, and because if people feel like, okay, we got rid of Trump, we were told repeatedly was, was bad. Uh, Trump, Trump bad was the main message of the Democratic Party for several years, and you kind of explicitly promised to uh, not only get rid of him, but like start making a material impact in people's lives. If that doesn't materialize, then you know any gains that they've made up over the last couple of years are just going to be wiped out in the next in the in 2022, um, which is not going to be that's not going to be good for anyone. Another thing I wanted to mention was the the minimum wage stuff. Because Biden, to his credit, is part of his as part of this big recovery plan, is talking about increasing the minimum wage to fifteen fifteen dollars an hour, finally. But then, like when you look at there's some kind of fine print uh, situation happening there as well, where it's like, oh yeah, it's going to go up to fifteen dollars an hour in twenty twenty seven for federal employees or something like that. <laughs> and it's like again, like by the time twenty seven, like. Um, by the time 2027 rolls around, the minimum wage is going to need to be significantly higher because obviously th- like their rents are going to continue to rise. The cost of living is going to continue to rise. Uh, by the time this actually goes into effect, uh, that's $15 an hour is going to be nowhere near sufficient to actually like have a living wage, especially in like a, a major like urban centers. Um, there's also the fact that by 2027, probably we're going to see an even an, an even larger increase in the kind of like tr- prop 22ification of the American economy and not just America, by the way, this is going to be coming to all well, you know, modern liberal democracies, including Canada. Um, and probably most of us by that time are going to be like independent contractors working for some tech company and completely exempt from labor protections like the minimum wage or like the 40 hour work week. So it's another one of the things that's like in this plan that kind of sounds good when you look at it, but in effect, uh, it's essentially just like a meaningless gesture. Um, and it's not doing anything to really help people in America right now, which is what they need to be doing. No, because they don't care. They do not care about you. They they will only do the bare minimum and, and create the appearance uh, of action. This sets up a Republican president coming in in four years and killing it so then they can run on it again. They do not fucking care. If they cared, they would find a way to do it. Um, it it's these 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 looming problems of like you know the gig economy and the reliance on contracting work with tech giants and and apps and and services it it spells fucking disaster because at some point those are even going to be automated then what yeah we have no real plan to address like very like <laughs> like very near threats of automation on a large scale and you know whatever you think of yang but he was at least someone who fucking talked about it yeah. Like no one's even talking about it. And this guy brought it up and he's right. And everyone's just fucking mocked him. No one in the Democratic Party on, on a meaningful level. I mean, obviously, other than Bernie, um, really put workers' best interests 
at the forefront. Uh, even even Warren's plans were, were just capitalism with more guardrails. No, there needs to be a major overhaul to how we conduct ourselves in, in, in this society. We're lagging behind the rest of the world in quality of life. You know, a majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and can't afford a $500 emergency. Healthcare is inadequate. People are underinsured, underpaid, and overworked and buried in debt. And even on student debt, it's got this bubble nearing $2 trillion of student debt just burying generations. The best they can come up with is, all right, $10,000. And then again, you have the same cadre of, of, sycophants who just defend everything the democratic establishment does is that's great and actually the people who want more are, are yale grads and they're entitled and this is actually this would help and it's actually woke to do this because uh there's a bunch of black people that don't have student debt and this is this is the best way to do it and you the lefties are just unreasonable it's like no dude like i left youngstown state university with forty thousand dollars in debt <laughs> that's one of the cheapest schools in Ohio. And then I got a, a, a master's degree from fucking the University of Baltimore. Both degrees geared me toward and, and were specifically picked to lead to a, a career in public service through the working in, in either at the DC government in, in, in a school or in nonprofits. And in total, I have $80,000 of student debt. How is that reasonable <laughs> to go to go to two cheap public schools to work in the public sector and nonprofits? I have zero interest in working at a bank or at a, at a in lobbying or for a corporation or anything. How is eighty thousand dollars a reasonable amount? Yeah, I, I, and just sure pausing interest for like a couple months. Okay, cool, thanks. That helps a little bit. That's no different than what Trump did. Just yeah. like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, okay. That would help that would help some people. There are a lot of people who need help. And just well, just yeah. just finding some portion that you think is enough just continues like the problem will continue to persist. Yeah. Well, the part of the problem too is like when people like Joe Biden were growing up, you could like mow lawns for a summer and then <laughs> save up enough money to get for yeah. a university degree and and then go immediately and get a, a well-paying uh, job immediately afterwards. So they somehow they still think that this is the same kind of situation that's uh, affecting Americans today, but haven't I don't <laughs> haven't really looked into the the ways that this situation has changed for for many people. Um, it's always funny yeah. to hear them like lecture, like and back in my day, it's like, okay, well that you understand that that day has passed now, right? <laughs> clear on this, right? It's not kind of somewhat, not exactly the same economic conditions today in terms of the yeah. cost of living. It also ignores that like you know. state subsidies and public education has basically inverted to the point where they used to like subsidize like 70 or 80% of the education. Now it's like 20%. It's just like a massive reversal and just like you're refusing to acknowledge that major complication. Yeah. It's, it's, it's galling. Yeah. Um, and there's, but, and like, there's been a, there used to be like a manufacturing base that you could have right. a great job at, at like a fucking box factory or something and afford mm -hmm. a, a nice home. Um, yeah. And unfortunately none of those jobs even exist because of economic policies championed by people like Joe Biden throughout his career. Exactly. And the people who, help formulate those policies all come from like Yale and Harvard where you basically have a pass to do whatever you want the rest of your life. And it's yeah. just like, it, it's, it, it's a society framed by outliers who aren't connected to the issue at all. And it's just a bunch of Yale grads writing all this shit because to them, they worked hard and they got it. But as soon as employers see that on your resume, you're going to go to the top. Someone who goes to like Akron or Kent state, isn't going to get the same consideration. But the problem plagues people that go to those state schools that don't have the same level of prestige as a Yale or a Harvard um, way more and to a disproportionate amount. Like you can go to Yale on merit and that's great. Congratulations. You're also going to have way more doors open for you and you're not going to have to worry about that because you're going to get way better jobs and way better opportunities. So they like this because it benefits them. Yeah. And so, so talking about the idea of like what they need to be doing versus what they are doing, uh, which is like setting a really extremely bold agenda and 
go pushing through whatever obstructionism that the Republican Party uh, puts in their way to enact an agenda that actually helps people. And then showing in two years, look what happens when you vote for Democrats. Look at X and Y ways that your life has like tangibly improved uh, that we can point to. And it seems like one of the things that's preventing that from happening is the filibuster. And this is when, as a non-American, I can get kind of lost in some of the procedural the weirdness about the way the U.S. government functions. But it seems to me, from my understanding, that the filibuster is basically just a way for the Senate minority to control like what legislation gets gets talked about or passed in the Senate. And if they did want to be bold, they could use the, the power they have now while they have it, which is a very like a limited time that they're going to have it, to just get rid of that rule and then be able to actually pass a a bold agenda that's going to help people and they have in in order to do that they would have to like push through because of course republicans and conservatives are going to talk about this like it's like stalinism or whatever and they're going to be losing their minds about how unfair it is and you know how it goes against the, the message of unity or whatever but to me this seems to be like the only possible way forward for the democratic party to like actually like tangibly fight for an agenda that's going to help people that then they can then point to in two years to not get wiped out um do you think there's any likelihood whatsoever that they're going to move on this while they have the opportunity to? No. <laughs> okay. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have a great answer or likely one. It's just no. I don't think. I think they're going to do the bare minimum, and there's going to be a lot of like smoke and mirrors to make it look like they're doing way more than they are. And like the minimum wage thing, it's going to be just kicking the can down the road and be like, okay, relief is on the way in 2027. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like. <laughs> It's just, it's going to be shit like that. I I would love to be surprised. That's the thing. Yeah. Please prove me wrong. Please, I'm begging you. I want to be wrong so bad. I don't yeah. have faith. I don't have faith. It's going to be a lot weirdly, of like, I feel like task I'm being, forces optimistic. I'm being more optimistic and, than, than other people that I've read about this. Yeah. I don't know why. Probably, it's probably a terrible mistake. Um, but another thing people have pointed to, it's like, well, if you know, if you get rid of the filibuster, then Republicans, then they won't have the same rules, then they'll do the same thing. But like, if if Republicans had power in the Senate and Democrats actually acted like Republicans do and were obstructionists in the same way, they would not hesitate to remove to remove that. Like they keep it because it helps them, and Democrats mm-hmm. don't really use it in the same way. Yeah. Um, I mean, so look, they had an opportunity to use it in, in December. Bernie was going to filibuster uh, the military bill. To, uh, uh, until they brought a vote to the floor for $2,000 checks and the Democrats joined with Republicans to kill the filibuster. So they <laughs> voted on the motion to proceed. So they had an opportunity to use it very recently and they didn't even want to. Yeah. <laughs> Just like they don't give a shit. They do not fucking care. Uh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, the, all this that we're talking about, I mean, that's why I think this time, this, this initial stretch is so important. Um, because it's the old, like the only way that they're not going to get wiped out in two years is by really going big on all this stuff. And even though I feel like there is evidence that at least some people in the Democratic Party understand this, I don't know if they're if they're just capable. I don't know if they're if they're capable of like thinking in that kind of scope. Um, and you see once again, Bernie is the only one kind of like making this hammering this uh, message home. And instead of actually listening to them, they're like, okay, thanks, Bernie. And they, you know, we'll, we'll do the memes and stuff. But when it comes to actually listening to what he's saying about how they need to operate here, um, it seems like it's probably going to be falling on deaf, deaf ears, um, which is, I mean, that's, then that's going to be the ball game, right? Because they've got this two-year window to actually pass stuff. And that can, that can evaporate really, really quickly, as we saw in the Obama uh, era. And uh, if they don't do it, then it's like they are going to get wiped out. And then it's going to be, you know, probably... Uh, worse Trump, as as we've been repeatedly warning, uh, in in the next couple of years. Yeah, Andrew Lawrence from Media Matters, I think, put it best. He's like, if they get rid of the filibuster, they have to get through exactly one, <laughs> one phony outrage cycle, and they yeah. can spend the next two years just making people's lives better. Yeah, but they're just they're afraid. They are just cowardly. Well, that's the like, question is if whether they're cowardly or whether they just don't want to fight for that exact agenda because that's the people that fund the Democratic Party don't want them to. I mean, that's the basic like, yeah, that's basically I mean, what's that's at stake. You know? a bigger factor. Yeah. But um, in that, in that is a sense of cowardice. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it. It would be, there would be a, it would be the phony outrage cycle to end all phony outrage cycles. Again, this is coming off a part. This is a party that just supported Donald fucking Trump for four years and every single thing mm-hmm. he did that just like openly 
uh, incited this deadly riot, there is no better time to just say like, ask them to put their money when their mouth is and just be like, okay, if you want to, you know, you have your, you can have your little phony outrage cycle. And then we're going to just get to work passing all kinds of stuff that people, it's going to really help people's lives. Uh, and that could totally set up the democratic party of the next generation. It seems so fucking easy. Um, and this is exactly what the democratic primary was about because there was one guy that understood this. And there was one guy that has dedicated his whole career to doing the exact opposite of that. And the Democratic Party establishment uh, came together to ensure that he was the one that ended up winning there. So uh, that's why I think you're probably right to be somewhat skeptical about uh, about them wielding wielding power in that way. Uh, but again, I would I would be happy to be wrong about it as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Please, I want to be wrong so bad. But I'm yeah. just not getting my hopes up. I just I refuse I refuse to do it. If there's one thing that being a Browns fan has has conditioned me for, <laughs> it is ex- is having low expectations. So that's yeah. I'm ready. They had a nice little run there in the dude. Yeah, they did. I feel I, I feel good about it. You couldn't <laughs> ask. I mean, you could ask for a better thing. But like <laughs> with the Browns' history, it's like okay, sure. Yeah, sure. A close yeah, we'll a close it. loss to the defending champs in the second round. All it's right. kind of a controversial, dirty hit there that I saw. That oh, I mean, seemed, dude, that if, if that <laughs> play kinda... goes a different way, the Browns win. That's the thing; it, it stings, but it's like, of course, it's like whatever. Again, low expectations, yeah. but yes, that is that was sh- the dumbest rule in football is when it fumbles. We're going a little off track here, but dumbest rule in football. <laughs> but and also like a very clear miss, deliberate helmet to helmet that w- at least at the very least should have put the ball in the one. Like it's yeah. it's all right, whatever. <laughs> they they played their hearts out this year. Yeah, that's good. Go go Browns. That's right, baby. Um, so it would be nice to see. Yeah, it would be nice to see the Democrats uh, pull some of that plucky underdog spirit. Um, yeah. But uh, it, some alarm bells have been going off about some of these early early moves that they've been making. And uh, okay, so I wanted to while we're still talking, get into the climate stuff as well. Cause that was another one of the main things that people were always saying to me in the primary, uh, whenever I would criticize Biden, well, look, you know, they, they believe in climate change and they believe in science and all this they stuff. They believe in science, Rob. Uh, even when science, you know, when scientists say like we, fracking is bad, then they've, they listen to the scientists, but then they don't actually like do what the scientists <laughs> say. They see the scientists and they hear the scientists and then mm-hmm. they're like, okay, but we're going to continue with the, with the fracking. Um, so, but okay. So one cool thing though, which was, it was extra exciting for me because it made Justin Trudeau and a bunch of other t- shitty Canadians like Jason Kenney really mad, which was canceling <laughs> the Keystone XL pipeline, um, which was kind of based, frankly, I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's a great move. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Many of the worst people in this country were really upset by it, so that's that's a good metric for for you know determining whether that was good or not. Yeah. Uh, so good for Biden, give Biden give points for that. I think that was pretty solid. Uh, another big thing that they've made a big uh, deal of also is returning to the Paris Climate Agreement, and like obviously it's fucked up that Trump left that agreement in the first place, and I suppose that it is good that like. The, the U.S., like the world's the global superpower, the biggest, the you know, the wealthiest nation in the world is getting back on board that kind of a deal. Um, but I see, I again, I see like Democrats and liberals treating this like it's like this mission accomplished moment. Like, ah, we dust off our hands. We're back in the Paris Climate Agreement. Uh, the environment saved. But like, this is like, again, this is kind of a dangerous way of looking at this. Because if you look at Canada, for instance, like we've never left the Paris Climate Agreement. We've been in there the whole time. And we are on pace to hit our... 2030 emissions targets that we agreed to in the Paris Climate Agreement, we're on pace to hit those 2030 targets in like 200 years. Like we are nowhere near where we actually need to be. This agreement, it's nice. It gives you a nice kind of feeling like we're doing something. It's non-binding. There's no actual like measures in place to ensure that these big economies do actually hit these targets. It's completely just like an agreement to like, let's let's say that we're going to do this and we can all kind of congratulate ourselves and slap each other on the back and give each other handshakes. And meanwhile, all the emissions, all CO2 emissions, they've maybe if they've gone down slightly are nowhere near hitting the levels that we need to hit in order to avoid the like catastrophic future of like, I think 3.5 degrees warming uh, by the end of the next hundred years, which is like basically the end of human civilization. So while it's good that Joe Biden is back in that Paris climate agreement, 
it's, it's meaningless. It's ultimately meaningless. It's a nice gesture, but it's meaningless. It's not actually leading and leading us anywhere good. Um, and again, you have you have people in the Democratic Party treating it like, well, we fix we fixed that issue, but like the actual emissions need <laughs> are not anywhere near being lowered to the level that they need to be. And I don't know what steps Biden is actually going to take, regardless of what's in his like plan or what's in his platform, to ensure that that happens. Yeah, that is. Uh... That's a perfect example of that dynamic I was talking about earlier where we they're going to create this appearance of getting things done. This is one thing and it is completely insufficient in the long run. Um and people I think are just going to fall for it. So that's great. That's one pipeline. Their refusal to uh ban fracking overall is much much worse. So <sighs> That's cool about the pipeline, but like cool about yeah. the Paris Climate Accords, so much more needs to be done. Yeah. Well, and you can say this, like you can contrast with Trump on anything. Yeah, it's better than the, the Trump yeah. uh, environmental it's, policy of doing nothing or doubling down on all, the, That's the on, on all the worst things that are leading to the warming. Sure. Is is Biden's immigration policy going to be, be superior to the Trump immigration policy? Yeah, sure. Or criminal justice or the economy or any of these other things. Yeah, I'm, pro- I'm sure that the Biden approach, if you compare the two, is better. Is it enough to actually deal like with the level of crises that America and the world is facing? And the answer is no to like each one of these things. <laughs> and that's the danger is that's the danger is what the media and when people like prominent people in the Democratic Party, prominent liberals treat this as if like the mission is accompl- has been accomplished. And that like the fact that they've become now marginally better on a couple of these issues, treating it like that's the end and that's the end of the fucking story, that's dangerous in and of itself. Uh, because not only are they not doing enough to confront these crises, they're not doing enough to avoid getting wiped out in a couple of years and having the Republican Party then once again seize the levers of power in the U.S. government and just start doubling down on all the worst elements of the, the things that have made these crises worse in the first place. Yeah. Um, there's going to be... a an insistence from liberals, liberal pundits, experts, whatever, that what Biden is doing is enough. And it's not. As long as we still have these processes like fracking, as long as they you know, still have even like a profit mechanism and a profit motive in the energy sector, um, it's always going to be troubling. And uh, the woke... Uh, the 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 woke efforts by Shell and Exxon to cover up their tracks and and what they've done, the way they treat people like Stephen Donzinger, um, and the way the justice system works on behalf of the energy companies, uh, to just ruin the lives of people who challenge their authority and their control. Sorry, and their who's power. who's who is this guy? Stephen Donzinger. I should probably um, know this. Yeah, he uh, challenged uh, Chevron uh, in Ecuador for how they've polluted communities in in ecuador and won like a huge settlement and then exxon was like oh uh actually that was fraud and he was using corrupt political forces to to do this and they have just ruined his life ever since and the media largely ignores it yeah Um, i have heard of this story yeah intercept has done some good reporting on it chris hedges always writes about it um it is so blatantly obvious what they're doing where they're just using every mechanism of state and and legal and judicial power to just punish this fucking guy for even daring to challenge them like as long as things like that exist and everyone just collectively turns a blind eye to it um it's only going to get worse and the threat is still going to be there and the sad thing is we're running out of time what the killing the keystone keystone pipeline is great it's not enough but they're going to if you even dare to point that out Democratic loyalists are going to be like, oh, would you rather have the guy who pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords then? No. I just want it to be fucking better. Yeah. Well, and also, we like we're pointing out, the end result is the same. Like, the yeah. planet is still going to continue warming if you take half measures or if you double down on all the worst things that you that led to the led to the uh, climate crisis in the first place. There's zero daylight in between what the end result of that is. And that's what we all kind of need to be focusing on. Uh, and yeah, talking about that, that Exxon case too, I wanted to point out, cause I do remember that story. And like, this wasn't a case of Exxon, like, oh, we, we, you know, we accidentally kind of polluted in this, this like, uh, indigenous environment this was like a very deliberate effort to like poison and destroy these like communities uh some of the most cruel evil shit you can imagine um and they've been kind of completely like allowed to 
totally retaliate against this guy. And yeah, that's yeah, like you pointed out, that's completely flying under the radar. And you have instead of instead of the Biden administration taking an adversarial stance on these like malignant forces, these or these like vastly powerful and influential energy companies and and fossil fuel extraction companies, instead of taking like an adversarial uh, stance to these companies who are extremely fucking evil and are responsible for like untold amounts of like destruction and misery and death and and instead trying to like fold them into the whole plan and trying to yeah they're doing their like woke oh we're all in this together kind of thing it's like no no we're not we're not in this together like you were you're literally criminals you should be in prison um and yeah so as much as it's better certainly that that biden has taken that that kind of a stance uh it's the end the end result is the same Mm-hmm. And like you're pointing out, also, people are going to non- be nonstop making excuses for why this stuff kind of can't happen. And as we heard time and time again throughout the Obama era, we're going to be hearing this all the time again. Well, we can't because of the Republicans. So the, the mean Republicans are at it again. They're, Biden wants to do all this big stuff, but he can't. He's being blocked. Or, you know, we only have it's because of Joe Manchin. We have to make Joe Manchin happy. So we can't do all this big stuff. We've got to water everything down. Uh, but like like we've outlined with the filibuster stuff, they totally could. They're literally choosing to keep the system in place and give like willingly giving Republican the Republican Party the power to override all this big bold legislation they want to do. So that's just false and like on its face. And we're gonna hear that so much. We're gonna hear that so much. That's gonna be the go-to excuse for exactly why um, uh, Biden can't go big on any of these policies or he can't pass any of this stuff. Um, but they're literally deliberately choosing to keep that exact system in place. Uh, and whether that's from cowardice or whether that's because they're appeasing the very powerful corporate interests that fund the Democratic Party and fund all these politicians doesn't really matter because the end result is kind of the same. Yeah. Um, on a fundamental level, you either believe climate change is an existential threat and the clock is ticking or you don't. And if you do, you should I would argue believe it. There's a moral believe a there is a moral imperative to do something about it. Yeah, and an unwillingness to recognize that I think shows that they they just don't care. It's nothing more than a than a talking point for them. Yeah, and you can draw just a very clear parallel between the way that they're dealing with the coronavirus pandemic and with climate change because they're not doing what needs to be done because of like, oh, well, what would that do to the economy? And they're letting something far worse happen, which is hundreds of thousands of people dying instead. And it's the same kind of a thing. Well, we can't just like phase out fossil fuels immediately. We can't ban fracking because what would, you know, think about what that would happen to the economy and what would, what would people be saying about that? But like the end result that you're leading us to is a situation where all of human civilization is literally destroyed, which is worse, in my opinion, than like the Dow uh, dipping a little bit, <laughs> but like, it's still they can't get their heads out of this of this like market-based way of thinking because they're neoliberals and that's the most important thing is they've got to appease the market fucking at all costs. Um, right. And you can you can you know all you can ever hope to do is kind of help a few people around the margins from slipping through the cracks. But the, with the level of crises that America and the world is facing. Um, like they can't have that approach anymore. It's like those days are kind of finished. That was the whole, like we were saying, that was the whole point of the Democratic Party primary in the first place. Uh, and the, like the ones that were advocating for that exact kind of like half measure approach came together to win that primary. And this is the kind of result. And that's the kind of scary and dangerous thing for for this current moment. Yeah, I, you know what? I agree that Orange Man is bad. I think it is kind of a relief to not have the nonstop inst- like insane news stories every single week of the the host of The Apprentice being the most powerful politician in America and doing all this like horrible, cruel shit. I agree. But ultimately, not a lot has happened over the last week to convince me that the United States is in much of a better place to uh, to avoid a lot of these like really terrible crises that they're facing. Right. And and if those aren't addressed, it's not just going to be America that that. Uh, is punished by that or average Americans, it's going to be the entire world because kind of as America goes, the rest of the world goes. Um, then that's the kind of troubling thing about this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how else to put it. I don't know why people listen to this show. It's like... It's depressing. Every week is fucking depressing. Uh, I mean, I get that we're charming and, and fun yeah. and Are we hang the- out with and, and form <laughs> parasocial relationships with and all that. And we, mm-hmm. we have the humorous ongoing bits, Ken being banned and and all that kind of stuff. But 
the subject matter can get pretty fucking grim at times. Gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I guess we've gone on long enough. Uh, it, it was good to catch up with you on this stuff. Yeah. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Uh, we'll be back again soon. Is there anything else? Is there anything you want to sign off on? Should we leave on an upbeat note? Oh, not really. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.